Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and today we are talking the offensive side of the football, where I am going to give you guys my early projection as we sit here on Monday, June 26th, just a little over two months away from Washington's week one matchup, hosting the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field to kick off the 2023 campaign. I'm going to give you the full offensive structure as I see it right now. Quarterbacks, offensive linemen, receivers, tight ends, running backs. I'm going to dive into every single positional group where there's answers, there's questions, guys that I expect to stand out, guys I expect a potential surprise, guys that I expect to make the roster, do not expect to make the roster, maybe some practice squad candidates. I did this last week, so if you missed the episode, you can jump back to last week where I looked at the defensive side of the ball and projected my early list of guys that I expect to be in uniform week one. Now, things will change, ladies and gentlemen. Knock on wood, there will not be any major injuries. There won't be anything unforeseen like we saw really every year as far as with injuries, but nothing along the lines of something that we saw like last year with Brian Robinson's just nearly tragic event in the streets of D.C. being shot being shot. It was unbelievable how that event happened, occurred, how he rehabbed immediately and came back on the football field and had a hell of a rookie year and really excited to see him moving in to year two. We'll get to the running backs in a little bit, but this offensive positional group has already seen one major injury in the form of Armani Rodgers. Their most athletic tight end in the room will not be around in 2023. Now, he'll be around the facility, rehabbing, working out when he can, slowly working back from his tearing his Achilles just a couple of weeks ago in a non-contact injury, which is extremely unfortunate, considering how Eric Bieniemy wants to use his tight ends in his offense, and as we've seen in years past. And hopefully Armani will be the same type of athlete that he was pre-injury to what we'll see potentially moving down the line into 2024. But, ladies and gentlemen, this offense, and of course every offense in football, at whatever level, it starts at the quarterback position. And that is not going to change as we move into training camp, the preseason, and the regular season. It is going to be Sam Howell as QB1, and it is going to be Jacoby Brissett as QB2, as they brought the team brought over him from Cleveland this offseason to not only be a guy for Sam to sit next to in meeting rooms, shoulder to lean on, if you will, but someone that will push Sam Howell. Now, am I a guy that has believed a lot of the quarterback competition type of banter that we've heard out of Ashburn this offseason? Absolutely not. It is Sam Howell's offense to run. Now, if we go into training camp and we go into the preseason and Sam Howell looks completely out of sorts doesn't understand the offense, isn't able to read his progressions, just looks sloppy, and Jacoby's able to come in and work with the ones in practice and in games in the preseason and is showing some pop, then we may have a little bit of a conversation. But as we sit here now, just less than a week away from July, it is Sam Howell's job. And it has been Sam Howell's job 
since really the Dallas game. It really has. And I know you guys have heard me say it so many times. You have to take his performance against the Cowboys with a grain of salt. And you do. But this is a league that operates on a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mantra. And for Sam Howell's perspective, last year as a freshman in the league, what have you done for me lately? Well, he had a damn good ball game against the Dallas Cowboys defense that at that time was pushing Philadelphia to be the number one overall seed in the NFC East and in the entire conference. So you have to take a little bit of body, a little bit of juice from that performance and project it into this year. Now with a full off season as QB1, full off season as being the guy, not just in practices, but in meetings and getting every single mental and physical rep that you can. Now it's about executing. It's not about looking on a spreadsheet because right now on offense and defense, as I talked about last week, on a spreadsheet, on a depth chart, Washington looks very competitive, and they should be competitive this year. 500 football and sub-500 football is flat out not good enough for the talent that is on this roster. But you don't want to be a spreadsheet team. You want to be a team that when you line up man-to-man and you line up nose-to-nose on Sundays, whether you're in the trenches or you're on the perimeter, having to win one-on-one, you execute day in and day out. First down, second down, third down, fourth down. You execute from the first whistle to when the clock hits zero. You have to execute. So that starts at the quarterback position where it is going to be Sam. It is going to be Jacoby. QB3 on the roster right now is Jake Fromm. They brought in Tim Demorat from Fordham, who's had some flashes in OTAs, but he's most likely going to be a practice squad guy, or he just simply will not be here as we move into the fall. So Sam Howell, QB1, Jacoby Brissett, QB2, as we sit here right now in June 26. And again, folks, I do not expect that to change unless anything crazy unforeseen as we move into the meat of the summer. Now let's move to the running back position where this is going to be a really fun group. No more J.D. McKissick. I thought that they were going to make an addition in the draft. Things that I were told outside of the building, the conversations that I had was that they were looking for a guy with a little bit more juice late on day three, potential UDFA to come in and be that third down style of back, quick change of pace guy that can work in space and provide some special teams value. That was a J.D. McKissick type of athlete. That's what J.D. McKissick did. Now, away from the special team stuff, because J.D. wasn't crazily effective on teams. Really, nobody was from a skill position perspective for Washington. But they did add a guy late on day three, and that is in the form of six-rounder Chris Rodriguez out of Kentucky, who will be on this roster. And you guys have heard me before say that I do expect Chris Rodriguez to have a little bit of a role in this offense, specifically because of Antonio Gibson and the versatility and the alignment versatility of what he can do for an offense. And you look at Armani Rodgers and what he was going to offer for this offense, this passing attack, and even him in line where he does need, he didn't need improvement as a blocker. Antonio Gibson, you're not going to line him with his hand in the dirt next to the tackle and ask him to block a five tech or block an outside linebacker. He's just not going to ask him to do that. But you are going to ask him to flex out in space. And you are going to ask whether that's in the slot or on the perimeter. But 
Leaving that is just, you're looking at Brian Robinson saying, well, you're my only back. Well, there's your reason why you drafted Chris Rodriguez. You look at Antonio, Brian Robinson, and Chris Rodriguez, all physical bodied backs, over 215 plus pounds of pop, grown ass dudes in your backfield. J.D. McKissick was one of the lighter, more scat back, if you will, type of ball carriers, a lot like what we saw in years past with a guy like Chris Thompson, who had a lot of good years in Washington. Washington does not have that type of back right now on their roster. They have big physical backs that can get downhill and do some different things for you because I think both Brian specifically and Chris have a little bit of sneaky juice both inside and outside the tackles. Look back to that Atlanta game in the mud at FedEx Field last year and Brian Robinson running over the Atlanta defender on down, down the boundary. That's the physicality that he has. Look at Alabama what he was able to do. Turn on the Chris Rodriguez film at Kentucky and the production that he had another SEC back and tell me that he can't come to the NFL and do some of the similar things. Because this is a kid I saw down at the Senior Bowl that has really physical nature to his game, not afraid to stick his face in and pass pro. As a younger back coming into the NFL, you have to be able to do the little things, which means stick your face in and pass pro. If you have to be able to run the ball in between the tackles and then create in space outside with your hands, you have to find a way to get onto the football field. And when you have guys like Antonio and Brian, Ron, Brian Robinson, excuse me, that are going to be in front of you, you got to do little things to make your way onto the roster because slotting in Chris Rodriguez right now as a special teams guy, I don't see that right now. Not Definitely not as a returner. I do not see that right now. So the three backs that will be on this roster absolutely are Brian Robinson Jr. moving into year two, Antonio Gibson, moving into already year four, which is crazy to think, and Chris Rodriguez. Now, Jonathan Williams, they brought him back. He is on the roster. I love me some Jonathan Williams. He is one of these guys that just continually sticks around. He's like a cockroach. He really is. I I mean that in the best way possible. It's because you can't get rid of the damn guy. You can't get rid of him. You try to stomp on him. You try to get fire on him. You try to bash him against the wall. He's still around. Why? Because every time the guy gets carries, he gets an opportunity, he produces. And he runs just like the guys I've been mentioning in this positional group. He runs tough. He runs like every single carry is his last. And he's been a guy since he came out of Arkansas years ago that is someone that has to continually prove himself. And now sitting as RB4 on this roster, will he be here? Will he not? If he does make it, it's going to be a little bit of a shock because you're carrying four running backs. I really hope, from just a a likeness perspective, I'm rooting for I'm rooting for him. I, but I just don't see a clear pathway for him to make the roster because you're dressing a guy. You're going to have to. He's going to have to serve a role. And as RB four, you're already stretching a little bit by dressing three running backs. Right last year, I know we've seen it with Brian, Antonio, and JD, but there were all specific roles there. Now you have. Guys were, look, Antonio's going to flex out. Brian and Chris are going to be mainly probably the primary ball carriers. Where does that leave a guy like Jonathan Williams? Where does that leave a guy like Jarrett Patterson, college free agent out of Buffalo in 2021, a preseason darling for the last couple of years? Where does that leave him? Most likely leaves him out. So the three running backs, again, locks for this roster, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Chris Rodriguez, and expect Antonio Gibson again. I cannot say it enough, folks. He will be flexed out in space a ton this year because he was a receiver at Memphis, not a running back, and he will create matchup nightmares for defenses starting in week one 
against Arizona throughout the year. That's what Eric Bieniemy takes advantage of. He forces what you don't do well on defense. He looks at that. He puts the matchups on offense and puts those things together and makes life hell for defensive coordinators. I'm excited to see what he does with this running back group this year, specifically with number 24 and Antonio Gibson. Now, let's move to a positional group that has a ton of questions for me, and that is the tight ends group. Right now, Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, Curtis Hodges is still in the building. The needle just, it just, it, it doesn't move for me. Guys, there's a lot of stagnant skill sets there. Now, I know moving into year two for Cole and year three for John Bates, there are expectations there. I love John Bates as a blocker. That is his, you could call it his elite trait or what he hangs his hat on. Aligned as a Y, attached to the line of scrimmage, blowing dudes up through their face mask. John Bates is excellent at doing that when working towards the perimeter in the run game. As a guy you want in space as a pass catcher, there is work to be done there. Now with Cole Turner, it's the opposite. The guy cannot block me right now. He couldn't block anybody out of Nevada. That's why he was someone that you saw a lot stood up in the slot and the red zone flexed out on smaller corners, smaller safeties to get those matchups. Now it's about him progressing as a route runner, progressing in his ability to separate, having guys on his back hip, understanding where to sit in zone, understand where his landmarks are and defenses. Look, the linebacker's coming over the top. He's dropping 15 yards. I'm going to drop 10 and sit at the sticks. Not carrying his route or rounding out his route into zones that are occupied. Those are little things that I want to see Cole Turner do better. Simple. Just be better in that facet because he is going to get opportunities this year. He had opportunities, opportunities, excuse me, in year one. Had a concussion, unfortunately kind of threw a wrench in his rookie season. Moving into year two with no Armani Rodgers, Cole Turner is going to be looked upon as a guy that earns a hefty amount of snaps. And as you you used a day three pick on the kid last year, you're going to expect him to produce this fall. And in year two, look, it's year two. It's not year one. More expectations are there for Cole Turner. And I, hopefully, look, I, I look forward to him producing and improving. And I hope this group bottom line makes me put my foot in my mouth as we move forward into the middle to later portions of this season because I need to see more. And that I haven't even ha- mentioned a guy like Logan Thomas because the potential is there, but the word potential gets coaches fired every single year. Now, is Eric Bieniemy from an offensive perspective going anywhere? Hell no. He is not going anywhere unless Things just go chaotic in Sam Howell's development. The offense, last year we scored 19 points a game. They score 16 this year, 15. Things are just catastrophic on the offensive side of the ball. Eric Bannemi is going to be in town for a long time, and I'm really excited to see what he can do with the guys in place and the guys that will be here in the future. Do not get me wrong, but with Logan Thomas as right now, your tight end one, I need more. I need more. Last year, there were a ton of expectations for him. What we saw with Carson Wentz during his time in Philadelphia and then going to Indianapolis and how he utilized tight ends and how they were not just a sure set of hands over the intermediate portions of the offense, but he was really someone that targeted tight ends all over the field in between the 20s and of course in the red area, not just on fade routes, slants, timing routes, 
shielding guys in your back hip that I've talked about with Cole Turner. Logan Thomas has shown the ability to play above the rim. He's shown the ability to snatch balls away with one hand down the boundary. He's done a lot of different things over his career since coming out of Virginia Tech. I know a lot of you guys are Hokie fans out there. You're familiar with Logan down in Blacksburg, went to Arizona, drafted as a quarterback, made the transition, went to Detroit, has been in Washington for the last few years, but there needs to be more from him if he's going to be tight end one and if he's going to be a guy that's going to move forward and progress as an athlete and one another contract in D.C., moving forward because we know the tight end position and how important it is, not just in offenses, again, in Eric Bieniemy's architecture of his offense. You have to be someone that creates matchup nightmares. Logan Thomas, look, big, galloping, not a great route runner, doesn't have that elite speed, not overwhelmingly athletic, but he's a big body, has great hands, good catch radius. I need to see him become, again, a sure set of hands for Sam Howell, a guy on second and seven, a guy on third and three, third and four, that can just overwhelm small defenders over the intermediate areas of the offense. He needs to be better this year. This entire group needs to step up if this offense is going to reach their performance ceiling. So again, the locks I see for this roster are Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Cole Turner. Now let's move to the outside where we can have some fun. This is a group that I expect to be one of the best in football, and it's headlined by, of course, the familiar names, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel. And I want to start with Jahan moving into year two and what separates Jahan from a a stacked rookie class of receivers coming out in 2022. We've talked about it a ton. It is his route running. It is his separation ability. It is his hands. He plays like he's 6'4". He does. He plays big. You don't want big guys to play small, but you love when you have smaller guys play bigger. Jahan Dotson is not some freak athlete. He's not a 6'2", 6'3", 195, 200-pound athlete that runs 4'3". That is not Jahan Dotson. But you look across the league and your ability to run routes, your Stephon Diggs, your Devontae Adams, your Cooper Cups, the ability to separate and marionette corners to whatever route you're running look the same. Whether you're sticking the foot in the ground and pressing up to fifth gear on a nine route down the boundary, or you're snapping it off at five yards on a quick little dig, or you're working to the inside on a timing route on third and four. There's so many different intricacies that you see in Jahan Dotson's game that is beyond his years. When I look back to his college days at Penn State, watching that Penn State-Michigan State game in the snow and his ability to run routes, go above the rim, catch balls away from his frame, physical at the catch point, also stick his face in as a blocker. That game last year sold me on Jahan Dotson. At that time, did I know, did anybody know that he was going to be a Washington commander moving into last fall? No, we did not. But we sure as hell was ha- were happy that Washington took him with their first round pick last year. Now, would like to see a full healthy season from Jahan because I think him fully healthy absolutely can tease with a 1,000 yard season. Washington is going to sling the ball around in 2023 and in the years moving forward. A lot of the OTAs and mini camps have been focused so far on installing what they're doing from an aerial perspective through the air, whether it's developing full install progressions as far as they're running mesh, they're running scissor concepts, they're running screens, whatever you're doing, timing routes at the goal line, all of those different things have been installed, focused in these last few months 
both in meeting rooms and on the practice field in the limited time that they've had together before they all get together and revamp to full speed in training camp. But Jahan Dotson moving into year two, the expectations are through the roof. He is so damn smooth on the outside. He's almost like an artist with his paintbrush just moving across a canvas with him as a route runner. He's fantastic. I am so excited to see him in year two. Pairing with Curtis Samuel, who I'll go to next. Versatile weapon, inside, outside. Last year, in the last few years, it was good to see him fully healthy last year. I know the year prior, coming over from Carolina, the groin injury was just looked upon as, when is he ever going to be on the football field? Well, seeing him fully healthy was really nice to see and what he can do from a multiplicity of facets on motion, actually running routes, creating yards after the catch. He's a physical runner. I like that about him because he is not the biggest guy in the world. I think when you look at this entire receivers group, they have a lot of similar frames. Terry, Jahan, Curtis, Deami Brown, Dax Milne, a lot of these guys look the same. They really do, but they do different things. Nobody's touching the speed of a guy like Terry McLaurin or his ability to track the ball down the field. I think Jahan Dotson has that ability, but he doesn't have the top end burst that Terry has. The alignment versatility Curtis Samuel has extremely unique to what this offense does. But I think overall, you look at this offensive structure for, for specifically with, with Curtis's perspective, because I want to go back to him. His ability last year, we saw him a ton on these orbits and smoke motions pre-snap. It got static. It's why Scott Turner is not here anymore. His ability to be in the slot, be on the outside, and actually create separation, actually be a threat and a progression, be a first read, be a second read. Because consistently last year and the years following, excuse me, years prior with Scott Turner, he was really a third or fourth read in a progression. It was Terry. It was Jahan. It was a tight end. It was Curtis. Then it's a running back in the flat. And by the time he was actually the quarterback, whoever it was, whether it was Taylor or Carson, whoever it was, by the time they got to their third read, there were guys in his face. And he's usually on the ground with his back looking upright to the sky. So now this year, we'll talk about the front five in a minute. When you have a group like Terry, Jahan, and Curtis as your top three receivers, it's a really exciting group. A group that, again, I expect to be one of the best in football because it doesn't receive enough attention. And I think they will receive attention because of how Eric Bieni will scheme these guys open over the intermediate portions of the field, shallower portions on screens, allow them to use their speed, their vision, their yak ability. And then they will take the roof off of the defense once that the, the corners begin to play closer. Those safeties come down to the box. You're running the ball well with Brian. You're running it with Chris Rodriguez. You're running it with Antonio Gibson. You're creating with your tight ends. Well, they're running the ball well. What does that mean? You're going to bring more bodies into the box to counter the run. Well, when you have guys like Terry and Jahan on the outside and Curtis in the slot, wherever he aligns, he could be in the backfield. Expect to see that a little bit this year too. You can't, as a defense, continually play press man. You have to have... A lot of the times you're going to see teams playing cover two. Why? Because there's not a corner in football that can cover Terry McLaurin one-on-one. And moving forward into year two, I'm not sure if there's many corners that can cover Jahan Dotson one-on-one because of his elite route running ability. There's not many guys in this league that have an elite trait. Jahan Dotson's route running ability is elite. Terry McLaurin has a lot of elite traits. He's just not considered one of the top receivers in football because of how the correlation is with the quarterback position. And playing in Washington and the lack of success that this team has had for the longest time, for decades at this point. They don't receive enough attention. This year they will. And I do expect them to receive the attention because they are guys that battle their ass off every single week and they're flat out ball players and they're flat out studs. And the offense, from the offense's perspective, they are the headliners. It is Terry, 
It is Jahan. It is Curtis Samuel. What these three are going to be able to do on the outside this fall. But behind them, this is where this is where it gets fun. Jami Brown, look, 2021 third rounder out of North Carolina. Is he going to be able to rekindle some of the success that he had with Sam Howell at North Carolina? We saw him down in Chapel Hill where those two were dynamic. And that offense had Daz Newsom and Javante Williams and Michael Carter and, of course, Sam leading the charge under center. There was a lot of success for that offense with NFL players in abundance on that offensive side of the ball. But Diami, really, outside of a couple flashes here and there, the the two-touchdown game against Tennessee last year, hasn't really done anything. And right now, he is wide receiver four. But Washington just brought in Marcus Kemp from Kansas City following Eric Biennemi over. Dax Milne, look, he's done a nice job. Have your opinions here or there. He's not a crazy athlete, not a dynamic receiver by any means, but he's just someone that sticks around in the slot, outside, special teams value. We've seen him return some punts, some kicks. His first years in in the league from BYU as a seventh rounder back in 2021. He's a guy that that you want potentially as your wide receiver five, wide receiver six. So Deami Brown, this guy's in your rear view mirror. Now we get back to the back portions of this roster and you get to guys in college free agents, UDFAs, in Casimir Allen out of UCLA and Mitchell Tinsley out of Penn State. Speaking first for Tinsley, here's a guy out of Penn State that wore Jahan Dotson's number one last year in Happy Valley. Someone that came over from Western Kentucky, a Western Kentucky program that continually pumps out receivers. They're going to have another guy this year and Malachi Corley that has received early first round grade, mid first round grades, excuse me, from early Blesto spring grades for NFL teams. So he's a stud coming out again from Western Kentucky. But Mitchell Tinsley in that pre-draft process was outstanding. Went to NFL PA Bowl, was outstanding out in California, earned an invite to Shrine where he was the premier receiver at the event. Premier receiver at the event. And we know Washington's had their success with Penn State wide receivers coming in with Jahan last year. You bring this kid in, he's had some success in the spring. Then you look at Casimir Allen and what he could do for this offense. Very similar to what Curtis Samuel can offer you as far as a guy that has alignment versatility, excellent speed. He really has elite speed. 4-3 runner. Fantastic burst. Could he be that punt returner? Could he be a kick returner? Is he going to be that wide receiver six? We saw this last year when Alex Erickson made the roster and final cuts as wide receiver six. He is no longer here. You need someone to fill that role on teams to potentially flip the field for you and provide some juice. Have not had that since Brandon Banks was in town. Casimir Allen could be that guy as someone with Pac-12 experience, special teams experience, and wide receiver experience, if someone knock on wood were to go down, he provides that versatility and the ability to play a multitude of positions is what is so coveted from NFL teams and NFL GMs where if you just do one thing, you better be damn good at it. If that's all you do and you're not that good at it, well, you're limited in what you do for an NFL team. But if you do a multiplicity of things, wear a multitude of hats and do a lot of things well, you can kind of slot you in in different spots. And that's what Casimir Allen does for this roster. Guys that are that also brought in as UDFAs, Bryson Tremaine, Jalen Sample, guys like Zion Bowens, still have Kyrick McGowan, and excuse me, on the roster. Don't see those guys making the roster. Practice squad potential, most likely maybe maybe cuts bringing them back. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But bottom line, the guys that will make this roster: Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel. I do expect 
De'Ami Brown to make the roster. Then, then it's where it's, look, Marcus Kemp, Dax Milne, Kaz, and Mitchell Tinsley. Four guys. For me, right now, I think Kazmir Allen makes this roster. I think Mitchell Tinsley goes to the practice squad. And I think Dax Milne makes this roster. And I, I want to see what this team does with Marcus Kemp because there's obviously a relationship there. He's a bigger-bodied receiver following Eric Bieniemy over. But if they don't see him fitting into this roster... Could he be that Cam Sims replacement, right? A bigger physical wideout. That's that wide receiver four, wide receiver five. I don't know if that's him right now. I just don't know. So wide receiver five, wide receiver six is going to be a hell of a battle moving into training camp with the guys I just mentioned, but it starts at the top, Terry, Jahan, and Curtis. Now let's move to the big boys up front. Big boys, front five has to be better this year. A lot of new faces, not a lot of new places. Nick Gates is in the fold. Andrew Norwell's gone. Chase Roulier's gone. Sam Cosby's at guard. Andrew Wiley now at right tackle. Braden Daniels, fourth rounder out of Utah. Ricky Stromberg, third rounder out of Arkansas. Look, compete. That, that, that's what I expect from these, this front five moving into training camp. You got to compete. And there are a lot of guys on this front five to where there's, there has to be some shuffling moving into training camp to where people are going to fit. Because if right now the starters with Leno at left tackle, Sadiq Charles at left guard, Nick Gates, Sam Cosme, Andrew Wiley from left to right. There's going to be some battles there. Because we've seen Chris Paul last year, kid out of Tulsa, day three pick, play against in Dallas game, and he was good at guard. Can he battle Sadiq Charles? Braden Daniels out of Utah can play guard, can play tackle. Is he going to challenge Charles Leno? We saw Braden Daniels work in OTAs. When Leno was out, when he wasn't in attendance, he was at tackle. He can play there. He's an athlete, not technically refined. There's some work to be done there. Reason why he was a fourth round pick. So a day three pick early out of Utah. But there's a fundamental platform there for him to come in and potentially be left tackle if Charles Leno doesn't work out. Now, Charles is extremely experienced. He's a leader. I get all of that. But I need football players along my front five. And because you need Sam Howell to reach a performance ceiling that you haven't seen out of the quarterback position really since Kirk Cousins was in town and before that, RG3 for one year. A high level of quarterback play has to be standing upright. I don't want Sam Howell's eyes looking towards Section 300 in FedEx Field. I want it looking towards the secondary, the linebackers. What are they rotating to? And for that, You have to have a correlation of bodies up front that are able to protect, ability to move, ability to displace guys in the run game. Not asking you to bowl over guys, not asking you to be Quentin Nelson or Zach Martin or guys like Andrew Thomas. I'm not asking you to be those guys. But this front five as a whole has to be better. Nick Gates coming in after a nasty injury with New York. Most likely he's going to be center one. He's going to start. But Ricky Stromberg out of Arkansas, SEC experience, a guy that's battled his ass off coming out of high school with one power five offer, Arkansas, he works for everything he's got. And he is going to battle his tail off every single day to push a guy like Nick Gates. Not saying that Nick Gates is going to push himself because he's a guy as well that you just look at the kid, long hair, buffed up, rocked up frame, really strong dude. That's going to work his tail off and really looks a lot like Guys like Wes Schweitzer, guys like Andrew Norwell that we've seen in years past and just have that grimacey look to him, 
from a damn Game of Thrones cast and you throw them along the front fire, they're just going to get after you and take your lunch money and let you know about it. I like those type of guys, but they can move and they can do things different for you in pass pro and in the run game and getting out in space. But now we're talking about depth, right? You have depth and guys to compete. Sadiq Charles, is he the left guard? Right now, it looks like it. Guys, I cannot say it enough. He was drafted out of LSU to replace Trent Williams. Sadiq Charles was drafted out of LSU to replace Trent Williams years ago. In 2020, the COVID year, it just flew under the radar because the 2020 draft, of course, was the Chase Young draft. But he's expected to be left guard. From what I've seen from Sadiq Charles and his first few years in Washington, not starting him at left guard, folks. I hope he proves me wrong. I don't like his ability in his lower half. I think he's stagnant. I don't like his hands. I don't think he has a ton of power. You want him at guard? You want him to displace guys vertically, north-south? You don't have a lot of guys in the backfield that have this elite burst to put the foot in the ground, one-cut runners, and stretch through holes, whether they're it's a vacant alley or you got to squeeze through and get skinny. Sadiq Charles is just more of an escorter instead of a body displacer and throwing people out of the club. That's what Sadiq Charles is. Now, he's a high-level athlete. He can move. But there's a technicality portion of the offensive line position that I have not seen from Sadiq Charles. His ability to ID stunts and blitzers. His ability to drop his hips and pass pro and sink quickly. If he doesn't win with his hands first and a guy is able to counter his hands, how quickly is he able to get his hands reestablished inside the breastplate of a defender? I have not seen that yet. He's going to be tested every day in practice going against John Allen, Deron Payne, Phil Mathis, John Ridgway. You can bet your ass off on that. But I need more from this front five because this is where it starts. I don't care how sexy you are at quarterback, receiver, tight end, running back. If you don't have a front five, you don't have an offense. Now we have some names on this roster. I'm excited to see Sam Cosme and Andrew Wiley protecting the arm side of Sam Howell this year. I think Andrew Wiley has been one of the premier right tackles in football for a long time. I think he's a hell of a player. Sam Cosme, really good athlete out of Texas. Now he's inside at guard with bumpers to either side of him. I think he's going to do a really nice job. At times, Sam looked really, really good in his rookie year in 2021. And 2022 hasn't been able to stay on the field a ton. There's been injuries there as well. I need a full slate of games out of him to really provide a clear picture on his performance ceiling and what he can offer for this offense. But this right side looks good. I really like Nick Gates, Sam Cosme, Andrew Wiley, your right side. Like it. But the left side, the blind side of Sam Howell. Now, what I do like about Sam and his drop back, he doesn't have a traditional drop back to where that left shoulder is closed to where really he can access the middle to the right side of the field. If you look at Sam Howell, when he drops back, it's more of a backpedal to where his left hip stays open to access the entire football field. So he'll be able to see guys coming off his blind side, but Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Hassan Reddick, types of ball players in the NFC East, are pinning their ears back and going around Charles Leno. His ability to step up in the pocket, make guys miss, but also keep his eyes downfield. If he has to tuck and run, we've seen Sam Howell's ability to do that both at Carolina in the preseason last year and, of course, the Dallas game where he scored a touchdown on the ground. So those little things about Sam Howell's game, it, it, they're just advanced stuff as far as his ability, his drop back and just the little intricacies of his game that he brings 
to the table under center that really goes unnoticed because, again, he does not have a traditional drop back. That left shoulder is not closed. He doesn't shut off that blind side. He keeps that left hip open to access the entire field, to see the entire front five if he has to slide up in the pocket, if he has to escape outside of structure, make a throw off platform. He can do all of those things. But the bottom line is I don't want Sam Howell running for his life. You want Sam to be able to be sometimes a static quarterback in the pocket. Make your money inside the pocket with your feet bouncing around in the pocket and be able to go through multiple progressions, left to right, right to left, wherever, at whatever depth. Sam has the ability to pump throws into condensed windows everywhere. Now it's just about the front five giving him time to do so. Ability to push in the ground game, create holes, and ability to sit your ass down and pass pro and give Sam time to read the football field and deliver to guys on time and on target to Terry, Jahan, Curtis, Dax Milne, Deami Brown, whoever it is, Mitchell Tinsley, Kaz Allen, whoever is on the outside, bottom line. So that is the offense for the Washington Commanders, I think, that I will see this year. Again, front five, I'll, I'll go through my projected projected starters right now. Charles Zeno at left tackle. Chris Paul, Sadiq Charles should battle at left guard. Nick Gates and Ricky Stromberg at center. Sam Cosme at right guard. Andrew Wiley at right tackle. The guys behind them, there is not a ton of depth. I mean, look, Braden Daniels is going to make this roster. I just mentioned Ricky Stromberg. Keaton Sutherland right now is one of their backup guards. I don't see him being there. Cornelius Lucas, we've seen him a ton as that swing tackle. Think back to the days of Ty Inseki and his ability to slide to either side of the line. He still provides that ability. If it doesn't work at tackle, I wouldn't even be surprised Cornelius could play guard. I really like his ability as a depth option. I think he should compete if things aren't working out with one of the guys up front, whether it is Sadiq, whether it is Chris Paul. You have guys... You have a guy like Cornelius that can play a multitude of positions. He is so important for this roster. He will be here. But the guys behind them, you brought Mason Brooks in from Ole Miss as UDFA, Nolan Laufenberg, Alex Akinbalu, Tyler Larson is still in the building. Is he going to be here? He can play some guard. He can play some center. I know the roster, excuse me, I know the coaches like him. He may be back. Trent Scott, you brought in from Pittsburgh as a potential tackle. He's not playing for me over a guy from a depth option right now in Braden Daniels or Kalinlius Lucas. Does he dress? Does he get cut? We will see how he produces in training camp. But those are the guys along your front five. It's going to be Charles, Chris Paul, Nick Gates, Sam Cosme, Andrew Wiley, Sadiq Charles, Braden Daniels, Ricky Stromberg, and Cornelius Lucas. Those are the guys. And Tyler Larson, I do expect to be there. I really do expect to be here because of what he's been able to do in the past and his ability to play both center and and guard. So that is the offense right now as we sit here in late June for the Washington Commanders, the Burgundy and Gold. I hope you guys enjoyed. That's going to do it for this episode. If you did, always appreciate your reviews, your likes, your shares, subscribing. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. If you don't follow me on Twitter already, you can shoot me a follow there at underscore Ryan Fowler. Always appreciate you guys' time. I will have an episode out for you next Monday. We're another week closer to the Burgundy and Gold kicking off training camp in Ashburn and of course the preseason and the regular season to follow. Thank you guys again as always for tuning in. I'm Ryan Fowler and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.